This week is the 17th anniversary of September 11, 2001. If you have any memories of 17 years ago, you certainly remember where you were on this date and what you did and how you felt when terrorists took over two large airline planes filled with passengers and crashed them into the World Trade Center in New York City, leading to the collapse of one tower and the death of thousands of people. I originally wrote about my memories and thoughts in my blog two years ago. Now I'd like to recount one more time these memories on this podcast. As is often the case in recollecting traumatic events, I may not have every detail correct, but this is how I recall things. As a psychiatrist, I previously had some experience in working with people who were traumatized. I had been a consultant to a burn and trauma unit of the hospital and had written a book about the subject. And a few years previously, I was part of a team that studied the psychological effects of a major plane crash in Dallas. And I had studied the psychological impact on emergency workers doing their work, as well as the impact on members of the media who cover such events. Now getting back to what happened on 9-11. I was in my office at New York Medical College at Westchester Medical Center, which is a suburb of New York City. My secretary told me that she had heard that a plane had crashed into the World Trade Center. This immediately brought to my mind a childhood memory of when a small plane had crashed into the Empire State Building in New York City. My father was a New York City policeman at the time and called in the event to emergency services. He subsequently brought home a small piece of twisted metal and wires that I was told were part of the plane. I now was to learn that 9-11 was a much greater catastrophe than that event that happened in my childhood. The nearest television to my office was on a closed psychiatric unit in the hospital, not too far from where I was located. I made my way there, and in, in the large day room, all the patients and staff were watching a medium-sized television. I quickly appreciated the magnitude of the event when shortly after I entered the room and focused on the TV, I saw pictures of one of the tallest buildings in the world collapse on live TV. As I recall the experience, there was only a quiet murmuring or perhaps some groans coming from myself and the people viewing this together. I should point out that this was a closed psychiatric unit with acute, severely mentally ill patients, some of whom would usually be in an agitated psychotic state, perhaps with hallucinations. I don't remember any such manifestations being shown by the patients. It was almost as if many of the patients were jolted back to reality by this event. It reminded me of an experience that I had during my first year of psychiatric training. I was assigned to an inpatient unit at, a, at another psychiatric hospital in New York City when, when there occurred a highly unusual citywide blackout of all power. As I recall it, it was in the evening and the hospital basically went dark 
with no or very little emergency power for lights, and this lasted for several hours. I subsequently wrote a paper about this, describing the reactions of the various patients to this unusual circumstance. And as I recall, a similar situation occurred where psychotic patients seemed to be jolted back to reality for a, for a period of time. Now, while initially we had no idea what was the cause of this plane crashing into the World Trade Center building, or that there were other planes involved. It was apparent that many people were killed, although there was no indication initially that it would be into the thousands, and that people were actually jumping out of windows to their death rather than being burned to death. As the magnitude became apparent, my natural instinct, as that of others, was to be concerned about my loved ones who worked in Manhattan. While I didn't think they would be at that location, I made phone calls to assure myself that they were all safe. Many people did not receive good news as they checked with their family and friends. One man I knew quite well was a director of clergy services at, at my hospital. His son had died in the World Trade Center during that event. At that time, I lived in one of the many suburban communities outside New York City, where many people commuted to work by train every day. That evening, there were many cars in the train station parking lot that were not picked up by people who had perished that day. Photographs of those cars that were not claimed by their owners that evening stands out in my memory. My wife, who worked at a, a, a major hospital in Manhattan as director of social work, related to me how her hospital immediately had gone into its emergency plan, waiting to receive large numbers of victims with injuries that were expected. Even the suburban hospitals such as mine went on to that mode where surgeons were called in and all personnel were on standby expecting to deal with an overflow of casualties from this tragedy. But despite the approximately 3,000 fatalities, I understand that there were very few injuries. The ash floating down on the city may have caused some minor medical problems. In the days following this hor horrific event, there was this very unusual phenomena of there being various posters on walls, buildings, trees, light poles, not only in the downtown area where the World Trade Center was, but in other parts of Manhattan. The theme of these posters was looking for a lost relative. There would be a photograph and of a person and a brief description, usually stating that the person in the picture worked in the World Trade Center and was missing. There would be a phone number to call if anyone knew about the missing person. The reality was that there were no missing people. The very few people who may have visited a medical facility were identified and all of these, quote, lost people had obviously died. However, understandably, their loved ones, in many cases, could not initially accept what had happened and were trying to maintain hope. Over the ensuing days, many of the posters remained in place, but the, the makers of them had crossed out the word missing 
and instead, or next to that word, there were words about how the poster was a memorial to them. Often there were flowers left next to the posters. I also recall passing a fire station where many firemen had perished after they had entered the tower to save victims and had been inside the building when it collapsed. The fire station was shrouded with black draping and an appropriate sign paying tribute to the lost heroes of that fire station. I believe it was on uh, one of the piers, they called it Pier 92 in downtown Manhattan, that a massive social service outreach program was set up to assist family and friends of people believed to be killed in the tragic event. There were places for people to register that they had lost a loved one. In many cases, the remains of the victims wouldn't be found. There were psychological services being offered to the distraught people, many of them who were grieving their lost loved ones. I recall that it was at this location on the third or fourth day after 9-11, I was asked because of my previous experience in working with the media around traumatic events to run a debriefing group for members of the media who had been working day and night on this tragic news story. Many of these news people had spent hours interviewing grieving friends and relatives. They had seen and photographed the gruesome scenes of the dead bodies and the partial remains. Some of them had photographed the falling bodies or the jumpers who chose to die this way rather than by fire. These reporters and radio and television people had spent hours talking on and off the air about all the details of this news story. They had edited their material and in many cases went without or with very little sleep since the story broke. Now in the early days of debriefing victims of trauma, the psychological approach had been to allow each person in a, in a group setting to recount their experience. But we had subsequently learned that such an approach often re-traumatized individuals who would hear other people's stories in the group. The approach now was more geared towards explaining to people about the symptoms which they might be having or the emotions that they might be going through and might have in the near future. And suggestions were given to them how to deal with these feelings, as well as allowing them to ask any questions. We would also try to identify people having significant difficulties and offer them more individual help. I had an interesting experience. In the course of running this group, I mentioned how comforting members of the media, particularly TV commentators, how they were very comforting to the public as these familiar news personalities would explain what is happening and try to keep the audience calm. Illustrating this point, I told them about a phone call I had just had with a family member who told me about a dream that she had that Peter Jennings, who was the ABC anchor, was talking and comforting her about the event. Now, in the group that I was speaking with was Peter Jennings' 
TV producer who worked very closely with him. And she came up to me at the end of my uh, session with him and said that she was sure that Peter Jennings would appreciate that story and she would tell it to him that evening. And, and you can imagine how surprised my relative was when I called her and told her that Peter Jennings would soon know about her dream. By coincidence, I had been scheduled to do a Grand Rounds presentation at a hospital in Manhattan, not too far from Ground Zero, 10 days after 9-11. It was pointed out to me that you could previously see the fallen tower from the room in which I was speaking. Now, I don't recall what the original topic was, but we, I know that we altered it to focus on that unforgettable event that had occurred in their backyard. And we spent the, my talk and the ground, grand rounds uh, discussion period from having everyone talk about their individual reactions. And I think it was therapeutic to all of us. For many years, I have been a very small part of, a, of the large number of mental health professionals writing and teaching about how our profession can be helpful in dealing with mass traumatic events. As a therapist, I realize that many people have their own individual traumatic experiences that impact them and offer alter their lives. These personal traumatic events can be just as meaningful and life-changing as the big events that affects large numbers of people when something like, like the 9-11 event happened. While I was very fortunate not to have been seriously traumatized by 9-11, but still the fear and worry that I had living through it, along with millions of Americans, is obviously imprinted in my mind. Recounting it now on this podcast relieves some of the pain that is still associated with that memory.